This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Andrew, did you know? A, a name that starts with A. I was just going to say, had anyone is... ever told you that your name starts with A, just like some famous book about have, the letter yeah, A? I've people. So I've gotten that before. Really? It's like, hey, you're tall. Some <laughs> went to a birthday party for one of Henry's little friends recently. And the grandparent of one of the kids asked me if anyone had ever told me that I look like a young Mickey Rourke. <laughs> That's a compliment. <laughs> and I was well, I didn't, it didn't really register as one because I only know what Mickey Rourke looks like From now. The wrestler? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's supposed to be a compliment. I think it maybe I, I think when people ask you if, if you ever have heard that you look like somebody, it's supposed to be a compliment. But I don't. You need to be careful with that one. Anyone ever tell you you look like the hot hamburglar from that one commercial where they had a hot hamburglar? Anyway, so yeah, people tell me I'm tall. They ask me if I'm good at basketball. No, I'm not. They tell me I look like the hot hamburglar, and they tell me my name starts with A. Do they though? Yeah, they tell me. Huh. Well, because your name comes early, they want to let you know. Mm -hmm. calling you well we're talking about this well andrew have you ever worn the letter a i mean probably ever right i'm trying to think if i would ever worn the letter c i'm I'm sure i have i've never worn like a purpose made emblem Mm. of the letter a meant to tell people that my name starts with a or that i committed some (laughs) sin that starts with a yeah that's true Mm -hmm. um but yeah we're talking about nathaniel hawthorne's nathaniel hawthorne's uh, the Scarlet Letter, A Romance. I put that little stink on the second version of his name because, I don't know if you knew this, Andrew, his family did not always spell it with the W. Uh-huh. Um, one of his great-great-grandpas uh, was a judge who put women to their death in the Salem Witch Trials. Rad. Cool. Uh, and then what? Justin Timberlake was like, hey, add a W. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, you know what's cool? <laughs> Not mm-hmm. being associated with your awful great great grandpa. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think he may have added he added that. There's some speculation he added that to distance himself from his family legacy. In- yeah, I mean, I think W. It depends. You know, it depends on the font you're using. If you're using like a monospaced font, all the letters are the same width regardless. But if you're if you're using a variable width font, then W is one of the wider letters. That you can use to create distance between yourself and your bad ancestors. <laughs> wow. So I've, ooh, I might have read this book in high school. You mm-hmm. read the book for the show. Welcome. This I is did. our show I... where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. And usually we've never read it before. And in this case, Andrew, you have never read this one? No, I never read it. Huh. That's not to say that I was never supposed to read yeah, it. Yeah. No, I've never read it. <laughs> It, and I, it's also possible, like, in 
junior senior English class. Yep. There were a lot of stories that you would read like excerpts from, right? Oh, yes. Like the one we read all of is like, you know, like Mom's Proposal, like the baby eating one. Uh-huh. Um, I think we read The Occurrence on Owl Creek Bridge. Yes. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, and a couple other like shorter ones. But for longer stuff, sometimes we just read like, here's the here's the good part. Here's the juicy part of this Okay. One. Yes. And so this is a story that a lot of people may know like the well certainly the titular symbol of or they might have a a a sense about the main character Mm -hmm. but i certainly don't remember much other than like maybe two or three big flashy symbols and it it is a book that at least certain people in, in our generation andrew are like it was on the curriculum. It was there. Mm-hmm. You had mm-hmm. to deal with it. It's kind of in the yeah, in the background somewhere. Um and I think part of that may be because it's like I don't know, Nathaniel Hawthorne is not the first uh writer in the United States of America, but he's a pretty successful This book is like makes a splash. It in does. The and he's also century. one of the first this is one of the first like mass produced books, I yes, think. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's selling like hotcakes. People love reading about this letter. Have you heard about this letter? <laughs> you got to read that book about the letter. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's born. I think in- now there would be like a sort of a ARG about. Let's see, ARG also starts with A <laughs> about the letter and like you would it, the whole the game would be like guessing what the letter stood for. Ooh, and there would be all the stuff going on. Oh, you're t- or, oh, yeah, I love a marketing campaign about what this book could be about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I Love B could be the sequel. That's a famous ARG. I, love I think you you do a s- series of Scarlet Letter novels, 26 of them, <laughs> one for each letter of the alphabet. Uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne was born in 1804, July 4th, I think, uh, Salem, Massachusetts, Died in 1864. As I said, he came from a long line of harsh Puritan judges mm-hmm. uh, and may have changed the spelling of his last name to create that di- that distance that Andrew so helpfully described. Mm-hmm. Um, his family moved around a bit after his dad passed away at sea. His dad was a sea captain. Uh, and his family moved to Maine and then moved in with some other relatives back, I think, in the Massachusetts area. Uh, his uncle insisted he go to college, even though I don't think Nathaniel wanted to. And he went to Bowdoin, where he became friends with some other poets and people who'd become con. You know, you're just, you're a white man of some means in the 19th century. You're going to college. You're going to bump into some people. Well, I mean, it's also the, the way that the world worked. There were like, like 30 people. I was going to say. <laughs> like, just, there are way fewer people. And then you cut out half of them by making women unable to do anything. Yeah. Uh And like odds are you're going to meet somebody or be related to somebody who is famous in some way. Wouldn't you know it on his way to school? I think he ran into uh, future president Franklin Pierce became uh, good friends with Franklin Pierce. Oh yeah. One of the more famous presidents could definitely name a single accomplishment (laughs) of the (laughs) Pierce administration. Uh, Well, Yep. So don't ask any follow-up questions. Uh, I'll just let you know that Nathaniel did go on to write the campaign biography of Mr. Pierce, because mm-hmm. they were doing that all the way back in the 1840s or 50s mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he definitely... 
you know, helped get a guy to the White House who would go on and enforce the Fugitive Slave Act and oh, rad. Cool. sign the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Nice. Good uh, one, Franklin Pierce. Yeah. Ugh. I think he, well, I was reading about him just to make sure like that he was who I thought he was. And it was like, oh, yeah, one of the worst and least memorable <laughs> Man. I mean, so. you could at, le- at least Warren G. Harding is bad and well-known. Mm-hmm. I want to find this quote. So in like in the 80s or something, mm-hmm. someone gave they gave a stamp to like they made a stamp to commemorate Nathaniel Hawthorne or uh-huh. something to have a letter to have a letter A on it. I don't know that it did. I think mm. it was about a, a house that he wrote another story about the custom house. No, we'll talk <laughs> okay. about the custom house. We will. Um, but I mean, this, kind of. I have I have stuff to say about this the article <laughs> from 1983 in the New York Times. Uh, described Hawthorne. Hawthorne's career was probably as tranquil and uneventful as ever fell to the lot of a man of letters, a career strikingly deficient in incident or drama. Few men of equal genius and of equal eminence have led a simpler, more unagitated life. And that's, I mean, yeah, he, like he wrote some books, he got fired from a job and then wrote this book. Uh, I do. I mean, I guess if you're in the 19th century and you're an author who's not like drinking yourself to death, yeah. that does seem pretty. That might make you seem a little placid, or like going to live in a in the woods mm-hmm. and you won't stop talking about how much you love the woods. <laughs> uh, I think he knew some of those people. He became friends with uh, Herman Melville later too. Herman Melville mm, well dedicated guy. Moby Dick to him, I think, because mm. he liked him so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, his first story novel, Fanshawe, was published in 1828. He was an editor of the American Magazine of Useful and Entertaining Knowledge in 1836. <laughs> uh, and then, Why isn't that magazine still around? I don't know. It's it a sounds great so, name. It sounds so useful and entertaining. It's, it's so specific and long to almost sound like it's sarcastic, but I don't know that it is. I'm also thinking like, you know how they do like a modern magazine cover where the, like the, the picture of the person on front will like be placed over the, the name of the magazine because, and and you can see just enough of the title and there are like three magazines left so you can recognize them all, (laughs) even if you only see a little bit of it. Uh And so just imagine like, I don't know, uh, who's funny. Uh, Hannah Gadsby <laughs> uh, on the cover of American <laughs> <On the> Magazine, <laughs> American Magazine of Entertaining and Whatever Facts. I love it, that's great. Pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. he wrote some stories in there while he was working as a weigher and a gauger. Uh, I don't think she's American, anyway. Go ahead. Um, and it was some of his stories were collected in 1837 as Twice Told Tales. Uh, he got married in 1842, reportedly after winning a bet that his buddy would get married first, which did happen. Um, and I found, okay, the Wikipedia article, which I mm-hmm. always use to start some research, right? Yeah, it's a good jumping off to point. To just find some other things to look up. And you also find wild pictures of how quickly people aged back in the... <laughs> Back in the day, um, this article about the gap between the picture of him in 1841 oh and the boy. one of him in 1848. Woof, woof, woof. woof. Uh, this article about his marriage uh, to Sophia Peabody um, was sounds like it was written by him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like Hawthorne, Sophia was a reclusive person. Throughout her early life, she had frequent migraines and underwent several experimental medical treatments. She was mostly bedridden until her sister introduced her to Hawthorne, after which her headaches seemed to have abated. The mm. Hawthorns enjoyed a long and happy marriage. He referred to her as his dove. Uh, and Sophia greatly admired her husband's work. She wrote in one of her journals, I am always so dazzled and bewildered with the richness, the depth, the jewels of beauty in his productions that I am always looking forward to a second reading where I can ponder and muse and fully take in the miraculous wealth of thoughts. Hmm. She either was a big fan or uh, he was pretty good at telling stories about how big a fan she was of him. Yeah, sure. Both could be true, I mm-hmm. suppose. Uh, he then took a job as a surveyor in what was that? The house, the, the custom house, custom house, and in, customs is is taxes. Yes. Yes. Okay. I think right. Yes. Um, and in 1848, he lost that position. Uh, Zachary Taylor became the president, and then like the wig. Wait, Zachary, like the the Zachary Taylor. Yeah. Also a president. Yeah. He became okay. he became president of the country, and then like the political winds changed, and so then Hawthorne got kicked out of this job. Uh, for got it okay. for reasons. I, I thought guess. you were saying that Zachary Taylor had taken the job from, <laughs> no, <laughs> like it had gotten elected to the position instead of him. No, sorry. Um, and then he, you know, he had difficulty writing during that job, and then after that, uh, while whatever else he was doing, he wound up publishing the Scarlet Letter in eighteen fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, you know, this is said in the 1640s, as you mentioned, it is referred to as one of the first mass produced books in the United States. Um, some people liked it when it came out. Some people thought it was too intense. <laughs> um, some of the, some real people are like mentioned or depicted like Anne Hutchinson, who was, Someone who was like kicked out of her, like wherever she was living, I guess in Salem, was kicked out for her religious beliefs in like the 1600s. Um, and Hibbins, there were real governors that are mentioned in this book. Uh, and it may or may not have been based on some people that uh, Margaret Fuller, who was, may have been the inspiration for Hester Prynne. She was a good friend of his. Mm-hmm. And she was, she wrote like early feminist. Uh, writings in America, in the United States anyway, and died on a boat journey back from Europe after having a child out of wedlock with an Italian revolutionary, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think she may have inspired some of what he was talking about there. Um, but yeah, that's some of the background for this book, I think, aside from the fact that here in 2022, I think our relationship to the book is mostly, yo, when did you have to read that book for class? Mm-hmm. Or you make like a, I don't know, you you could probably make some kind of joke about having to wear some kind of scarlet letter for, but for like a funny reason. I, I found it telling that the, uh, the like scarlet letter in pop culture lists that are out there of like adaptations and things so many of them in the last 20 years including stuff like easy a which is probably the most famous Mm -hmm. are just like stories in which high school students read the scarlet letter as shorthand for a story about ostracization or like social pariahs Mm -hmm. um you know there were 
a number of operas inspired by this book. There were a number any hip, of... Any, any hip operas? You know, I don't know. I didn't find out if there were any hip operas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wearing a letter. Emma name is Scarlet. And I'm going to invite the listener no, her name's, to... her name's not Scarlet. To rhyme with Scarlet. But her uh, name's not Scarlet. Don't send me to the gallows, you dang var... Well, Varlet's not a thing. That's I think var- Harlot is Harlot is Ooh. what you're going for, but her name's not Scarlet. <laughs> hmm. um, there was a bomb of a of an adaptation in 1995 with Demi Moore. Like, so it's the 90s. So are you talking like it was a bad one, or is like, oh, this is a bomb adaptation? <laughs> no, of it's, it's bad. Uh, the the two Washington Post headlines: the Scarlet Letter A is for awful. Ooh, and funny. the Scarlet Letter give it an F. <laughs> they ran both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, people apparently didn't like all the liberties it took from the book, in addition to not liking the performances, except for Gary Oldman. I think um, mm, that's typical. That's usually how he goes. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the book, Andrew. Anything else you wanted to say about? Your relationship to it before we take a break and then dive in? No, I didn't have one, so not ah, really a lot to point. say. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, let's take a break, and then you could tell me all about this letter, and I guess the right. book if you want. Yeah, here we go. Craig, if you have a bad website, it's kind of like you're walking around with a big scarlet letter. <laughs> On yourself, but like on your internet self. It's the like Scarlet, your screen name has a Scarlet letter in it. The Scarlet 404 that you mm-hmm. wear when, you're we- when your bad website times out because no one goes to it. <laughs> sure. Uh, but you know who can help you make websites that aren't bad? Who? Is Squarespace, ah. our sponsor this week. Squarespace, it's a website that helps you make websites. You've heard about them before, but let me tell you about them again. Here's some features we like about Squarespace. They let you grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns. You can create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo so your messaging is consistent and effective. Love I consistent this is the messaging. Case. Yeah, and effective messaging. I, I assume this is true even if your logo is a big scarlet A. <laughs> uh, you can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple, Stripe, and Venmo. Uh, you gain powerful insights in who's visiting your site and how you, they're interacting with your content with analytics. And for you content creators out there, Whoa. like if you if you make cool like Scarlet Letter fan fiction, Ooh. you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. Mm. And they offer one-click data portability if you need to pull up and move for some reason. Like if you get uh, banished from your town for doing something unspeakable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Squarespace, good website, helps you make good websites. If this sounds good to you, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A is for aardvark. A yeah. is for mm-hmm. agony. Mm-hmm. Did you write these down? A is for epistolary. No, that's is no, that a that's e? e. That's dang. <laughs> no, I didn't. To answer your question, no, I didn't write these Good down. <laughs> Ooh, a is for embarrassing because <laughs> that is what you are. 
right now. The Scarlet Letter. Let me preface this as the Scarlet Letter itself is prefaced by saying that the edition that I read includes the Custom House, yeah, which is a sort of lightly autobiographical introduction, like grounding you in the world of the Scarlet Letter. Mm-hmm. So I read, I read the first bit of the Custom House, Uh-oh. and the first five pages of it were like in an old town. There was a guy in a house, and it's just it's the book equivalent of I ain't reading all that happy for you though or sorry that happened <laughs> so I got bored and I skipped it and then I jumped right into the Scarlet Letter. It is my understanding that somewhere in that Custom House essay or maybe in another letter he puts forth this story that he he actually like was inspired to write this book mm-hmm. by discovering some embroidered Scarlet A or or and or discovering a historical record of this happening now this is it is a practice that as we will learn in the book people do is like did happen and there are certainly analogs that we can see throughout history of people having to wear symbols that uh denote their status of course but it seems like maybe the things that he says in the custom house are all true this is what i'm saying sure well then it's even better that i didn't finish it (laughs) If it's just lies, like what am I even doing here? What did, what did this? Um, so in the this article from the year two thousand, the future, uh, by Millicent Bell called "The Prophecy of Hester Prynne," um, talks about the Custom House doing a job of kind of like setting up the the uh, the narrator of this, not like I don't know, like just letting you know who the author's voice is. Um, yeah, because the. You are being told the story of the Scarlet Letter by somebody else. Yeah. But the the narrator isn't really present as a like it's it's not somebody writing a letter to somebody else. It's just kind of an omniscient. Oh, it's person not epistolary. A hey, interesting. No, it's not a, it's not an epistolary novel. <laughs> Millicent Bell <Idiot>. says <laughs> the voice is that of a reflective man of letters who doubts his own relation to society and its sources of power, as well as the power of his imagination to render truth. This invisible person will tell Hester's story, but he is also Hester herself. And that is referencing like that, you know, his job loss. And I think also his mom died like right before this book came out. And um, so he's just somebody who was feeling like pretty alienated uh, and then probably had some other stuff he wanted to write. He, You know, he's a he's a he's a romantic writer, a psychological realist, not a social realist. There's Mm -hmm. some stuff in this book that I think as I recall, gets a little intense. <laughs> that is not just like, here's a story about a person that lived, right? Yeah. No, there's a, there's some intense passages. Um, so what do you, like, you, so you said you read this story, yes? Maybe. I I seem to remember parts of it. Okay. What do you remember of it? Uh, there's a lady named Hester Prynne. She has yep. to wear a letter A. Yep. And it's because of a thing that she did. Adultery. Okay. And that's what the that's what the it's for. Okay, great. She winds up having a child. I don't remember much about who she had it with. I don't really remember any blow by blow of the like whether or not and how that information comes out. Okay, so that's like the what the book sort of hinges on. So okay, great. Okay, (laughs) you you remember the titular letter, which is good. You don't remember remember what happened in the in the actual story though, which honestly. 
Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're going to remember a part of it, it's probably like the symbol that it's named after, right? Not the and maybe this her character relationship. It, sure. it's, it does seem like Hester Prynne as an idea, as like part and parcel with the letter, has mm-hmm. endured. It certainly as like an image of like women and where they, you know, where they are relative to power in society or, you know, women on their own also and things like that. But I I don't really remember the specifics of how any of that is depicted in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, tell me more. It opens in the town of Salem-ish. Okay. Oh, I love that town, Salem-ish. There's a big stage where people get yelled at for doing bad stuff on... I didn't know Maury Povich had a show in Salem, Massachusetts. Out comes Hester Prynne. Okay. She is pretty, and she has a baby. Mm. But she did bad stuff. She did did an adultery. Mm. And she is sentenced to wear a scarlet letter so that her sin is emblazoned upon her breast for all to see forever and ever the end. Okay. Uh, She's led back into prison after this like two minutes hate that she gets to stand on the stage and endure. And this old guy comes in and he's like, yeah, don't tell anybody I'm your husband. It's her husband. Whoa. But he's under, he's in disguise as this like old doctor guy named Roger Chillingworth, which does sound like a fake name, Roger. So like a fake name for either a Batman villain who is, Gonna like become it's the, Mr. Freeze. It's the real name of the person who became Doctor Mr. Freeze. Yeah, Roger <laughs> Chillingworth. Yeah, he didn't get um, his degree yet. Um, but we'll ta- she, he he says, you know, don't tell anybody because there's there's this whole thing when she's on stage where they try to get the, the man who she adultered with to step forward, and he doesn't. Okay. And so she, it's just her and the little baby. Baby's name is Pearl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her husband comes into the prison and is like, don't tell anybody I'm your husband. I just want to hang out and chill. <laughs> did she know, did she know he was out there? Yeah. I mean, she knows her, who her own husband is. Okay. Okay. But is, he's not the one that she adultered with. He, she's, he's the one that she adultered against. Well, yes. That's how, that, you know what adultery how, is. Right? I know what it is, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Just like I, I'm left not knowing what you know because of how bad you spelled earlier. <laughs> Listen, yeah. two out of three ain't bad. Uh, we also meet this other guy, this minister, uh, Arthur Dimsdale. And mm. as soon as you spend any amount of time with him, it's obvious that he's that he did it. Just the fact that he's on stage is just not that he did it, and he seem he seems like he has something that he feels really bad about that we don't get to know any information about. <laughs> Yes. So, okay. A big thing in this book is people's like people's interior, like pe- the way people, yeah. the way people feel or the way people act, influencing the way that they look and like oh. their their health and their general countenance. Uh, so the so Arthur Dimsdale, the minister, has this. You know, he also did the bad sin. Oh, of adultery. Okay, when is Hester. when in the book do we confirm that? Is it pretty late, or is it? I like, mean, it's, I mean, obviously you can figure it out, but like it's like midway ish. Okay. I think like it's so obvious from the jump that that's what happened. That 
by the time the book finally out and out tells you what happens, I don't kind of don't remember like the exact moment. Sure, of it. that's <laughs> fine. That's it's fine. Def- it definitely was not like a what moment for me because okay. I knew I figured it out. Great, you didn't make the Pikachu face when it happened. I did not. Well, okay. I mean, the Pikachu face is when you're su- when you're feigning surprise at something. That's not surprising. Oh, is that so really I guess what I, it's for? Yeah, so I didn't. I did make the Pikachu. Okay, place. sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks for explaining that to me. You're welcome. Um, now, <laughs> now I just have. A, I just want to like check these names because they do seem to have. I know there's a lot of symbolism in this book, and they do seem to have some kind of Dickensian <laughs> qualities. Like how how uh, does Arthur Dimsdale know what's going on? He seem maybe he's a little dim. No, he's not dim. Did, don't be, is, don't be is Roger, silly. Is Roger Chillingsworth a little icy? Chillingworth. Why Chillingworth. is there not an S in Chillingsworth? Nathaniel, come it's on. Not, it's not. Because <laughs> it should be Her Chillingsworth. Her name's not Scarlet and his name's not Chillingsworth. <laughs> oh, like, man. So he is feeling very bad about the adultery that he did. And his, so the mark of his sin is sort of an internal thing. And it manifests itself as like he's always gripping his chest and he's always he's as if he it seems like right around it seemed right around the time all this stuff started happening boy the minister who everybody loves who's so pious and awesome and great he's just like this real rock star minister mm-hmm. uh his health seemed to start failing oh that's weird huh and so he's got this friend this this guy Roger Chillingworth who came from somewhere else and he <laughs> says he's a physician that is how it would work in the nineteen, in the you just well, show up and you're like, century. I'm from I'm a doctor, else. and like, there's no Google and there's no like records and there's no like, yeah, education system. So I'm, people just show up and are like, hey, I yeah, I'm a physician, and everyone's like, okay, I guess I'm Roger Chillingworth from Iceberg. It's over there. Don't mm-hmm. ask any more questions. Please. Don't worry about it. I'm yeah. Roger Chillingworth. Yep, my real name. Definitely a real name that I didn't make up. You can't. You could ask me for my birth certificate, but they haven't been invented yet. So, <laughs> but they're friends. Well, so Roger Chillingworth endeavors to make friends with Arthur Dimsdale mm. on the pretense of providing him medical care. Ah. But really, he Chillingworth knows. He knows the score. Oh, and he just wants to torment this guy and watch him writhe in agony about the secret shame that he has that he hasn't told anybody about okay so uh dimsdale has his secret shame is making him ill chillingworth has this sort of revenge that he's kind of sort of sort of exacting which makes him really mean looking and old and he just looks like a real mean guy. You're as cold as ice, Roger Chillingworth, is what yes. everyone says when he walks by. Yes, exactly. And that's what yeah. the song Cold as Ice is about. Yeah, sure. It's Roger Chillingworth. Yeah. And Hester's her deal is just so she's she's raising Pearl by herself. She's a she's a single woman. She's not common. She, no. And she is she's you know, she she bears a lot of ridicule. Which is what would happen if you wore a big scarlet A that sort of advertised. Forget the A. I think for our purposes, like for modern society, what you would have to do is get one of those like portable, programmable LED 
like marquee screen things. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And put whatever the worst thing that you ever did on was on it and you walked around with it. That's what it means. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I think like I don't I don't know that I mean adultery, listen, not ideal, but I don't think that there is <laughs> I feel I feel like we don't have a lot of sins in between. Left. Well, just like you could go for you could go to jail for it or not. <laughs> well, and I think there's something yeah, <laughs> like if you if like instead of doing time and maybe we should do that. Maybe this is the criminal justice reform we need. But in, instead of doing time for stealing, you wear a scarlet like Snickers logo on your chest because you That's try what to you steal took. Snickers. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm okay. But mm-hmm. what you're getting at here is. One of the reasons that the society views what she did as so bad is because well, it's because they're literally Puritans. They're literally Puritans, and you're like you're barely allowed to have sex with the person you're married with. You're definitely not allowed to to have sex with anybody else. Yes, and and the fact, and especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman, and especially and, if you get pregnant, and then you're yeah. gonna raise that child on your own. Mm-hmm. And like you need to just, but then that's interesting, right? Because doesn't, isn't there stuff in this book about like Pearl? I mean, in a way, the existence of Pearl is its own scarlet letter. Am I right? I, mean, I guess it's in the sense that like that kid exists. The kid, I mean, the kid exists, but the thing with Pearl is more like your your inner self is reflected in your outer self stuff. Like she is, she was born under these sinful circumstances. And so she's just kind of a wild child. Oh, and nobody is okay. sure that she loves anyone. And it's all this stuff where everybody seems really worried about it, but also she's three. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <So> <laughs> like okay. maybe you don't need to be that worried about it, but yeah, Hester, she takes a lot of guff from everybody because she did this bad thing and she wears the evidence of it on her person at all times. Mm-hmm. So she's sort of removed from society, but then at the same time, is you know she she makes clothes and she she tries to help the needy within her limited means, and she does a lot of the stuff that is sort of ostensibly like charitable or even Christian. Yeah, of course. But because she did this bad thing, like sometimes she'll give aid to somebody and they will like take it, but also they will like say mean things to her. Yeah. Yeah. And so okay. she is, she is removed from society and she also is just sort of, she's described as marble a lot, like a, like a marble statue, huh. not like a marble mat, not like marble madness. Yeah. Not like a, like a, she's not like a clear like ball a, with a cool, yeah. like green swirl inside. No, she's like a, a statue in, in the sense that she is, sort of gray and not fully human, not part of, not part of human life. She's, she, yeah. Okay. That I was waiting to, it's like, she's just a gray, like she's the New York times. Um, she, well, I mean, it does. It talks about how the, the beginning of the book's like, yeah, this lady's banging. She's hot. Oh, okay. This is <laughs> I mean, <laughs> neat. I mean, for, for like eighteen sixty or whenever it was published. What? Like that's Whoa. that's the that's the effect of what okay. the book is saying. Sure, sure. If you were it, to translate it into like urban dictionary. Is this a slang. tough book to read in terms of the the prose style? 
I mean, only in the sense that I was sort of fighting nodding off for the, big parts of is it. Is there, because there's like, is it like half instead of has and stuff? Is it like a there, lot when of... People, when people speak to each other, there is, there is that. So I oh. think when, like the narrator's voice is in 1850... Okay. But the people who are speaking in the book are in like the 1600s. 1640s, so yeah. there there is that divide sure. there. There's this whole there's this little bit where they're talking about uh people who like sailors, just you know, sailors who are doing yeah. official sailor things and the narrator breaks in to be like yeah, there were so few laws like governing what being a sailor was back then that you could be a perfectly fine sailor, totally on the up and up. And in now times you would get tried in Just, court oh for the, for the things that you did in the court, in the normal course of being a sailor back. <laughs> so, That's funny. so every once in a while you do get a sense that this is a, this is a period piece that's that, being written about. That is interesting. Long ago. And I, I think, you know, thinking about this episode, like and this book's place in the high school curricula writ large and um i know a lot of people have different feelings about whether or not we need to go read this book or not just because it's like it can be very dated for students reading books now it can be not easy to relate to the symbolism might be a little blunt and the language too difficult to be useful uh the fact that it is historical fiction (laughs) is not is just an int- if if you're going to get something out of it, I think that is an interesting angle to consider. That he is writing about a time 200 years prior to when mm-hmm. he was writing. That is, that is mm-hmm. not something that was like that is interesting and novel to me. Reading it in ninth grade and forgetting most of it. Well, it's also like he he is not he's not very complimentary of Puritans. We mentioned how mm. he put that W in his name to separate himself from yep. his hardcore ancestors. Yep. And yeah, he just, he doesn't have much nice to say about Puritans or their society or about the way that they raise kids. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So, okay. I so- think to, to set it back in, in those times, I guess you can, you can say what you want about that type of person because that type of person isn't really around as such anymore or you're or you're saying hey if you're still one of these people get with it bud because these people are losers i don't i don't think that's what he's doing i think he's doing the thing that i said but okay (laughs) that's a fight i I mean that's why you write you write fiction about the past for the readers in the present andrew yeah Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, if you were a reader in the 1850s and you're like, these Puritans sound like they have some good ideas, I bet not. Mm-hmm. Hawthorne would be like, no, they do not. No, they don't. No, they don't. Look in the mirror, bucko. Anyway, tell me about the Oof. Marble Lady and how she this feels about the world around her. This episode's been a little loosey-goosey because I am so tired. <laughs> and I feel like this book has been so mined out as a source of, of anything. But so the it's like seven years pass. Basically, all you need to know about any of the characters is the stuff that I told you already. Hester and Dimsdale like meet in the woods, and this is like the first time they've really had a heart to heart, presumably since the adultery that they did together. Okay. <laughs> and they make you know they they talk about I I have sin that everybody knows about, and you have sin that only you know about, and it's 
eaten at us in different ways. Mm. Let's run away together. And they resolve to. And then they're like, hey, Pearl, come over. Stop playing over by the woods and talking about how sad the brook sounds and come over. And I just want to introduce you to this guy. He's not like, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Do you want to let him kiss you on the forehead? And she is, she is weirded out by this whole encounter because her mother has briefly removed the scarlet letter and removed her, like her bad hat that keeps all of her hair underneath it and nobody can see her hair. And she seems confused about, you know, is this my mother? She doesn't have the scarlet letter that like, she doesn't look like my mother. She's not acting like my mother. And who's this guy? Um, anyway, they're going to run away together, but then they don't because, (laughs) because so Dimsdale is, there's this whole passage where he is, he's resolved to run away and then he's having to fight all this weird, like temptation on Mm. the way home to like do bad things or say bad things. And it's, some kind of devil that's gotten inside him because of the decision that he's made to run away. It's the thing about this book as like criticism of, of Puritans, which is a thing that you brought up. And, and the reason why I'm not sure that that's a thing is because it's never Hawthorne is never like, look at these stupid people sure. yeah. doing this thing that we would never do now yeah, in yeah, the yeah. 1860s to a woman. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Never. We would never do. Look at these silly idiots. So Dimsdale is going to get up. He's going to give this last sermon and then they're going to run off together and be together forever. Okay. Uh, And then he gets up and he does that. And then he dies in front of everybody. Like after admitting. He gives his last sermon. He gives his sermon. But then at the end of it, he's like, it was me all along. I was the, I was the guy. Okay. And he like bears his chest and some people think that they see the letter a on his chest and some other people who are very invested in his goodness and, in only seeing the world the way that they want to see it insist that it never happened that way. And that he was just doing a parable and there was no way that he actually meant that literally he had been the (laughs) father of this child. Oh no. And so he admits this thing and then he dies of his aforementioned ill health. Yeah, which had which started when he committed when he committed the, the adultery. Yeah, yeah, and he had the sin and the regret living inside him, becoming a full-on health condition. <laughs> yeah, as it does. Uh, Roger Chillingworth, having lost his main foil, sort of withers away and dies within the year. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and then, but he leaves his whole estate to Pearl, and because mm. he's because this is like the 1600s, everybody is still like English nobility and so he has extensive holdings in the old world that he just leaves to her and so she and hester leave for a while and then hester comes back she's still got the scarlet letter on she's still doing the penance for the bad the bad horrible adultery that she did Uh uh-huh but she's you know she she's getting letters and she the people see her making little baby clothes and it seems like you know pearl's doing good and they have a good relationship and People see Hester doing good things and slowly, and this has happened. This happens even in like the seven years that the book mainly depicts, but slowly people see her like good actions happening and think better of her because of them to the extent that some people are like, Hey, this for Abel because she's doing a really, she's doing a really good job. Hmm. 
making everybody happy. Hmm. <laughs> How did the symbolism feel to you, Andrew? Because that is what that is the rap on this book. Like it's it, the most simple one oh one level yeah. symbolism that you could possibly imagine and then the book tells you about it 900 times yeah right because isn't there like <laughs> there's like a bush that's important the forest is about sin the is is there not a part in the book where there's like a letter a in the sky does that yeah there is uh, th- yeah that's that's an interesting little bit listen there are like neat little passages sort of nestled within the sure the hawthorne as the narrator just goes on this little tangent about like Dimsdale looks up and he sees like this letter a in the sky. And this is the point where he's really kind of losing his marbles and convinced that everybody is going to know about the thing that he did. And it's just like eating him inside. And so he sees this thing up in the sky and the book says nothing was more common in those days than to interpret all meteoric appearances and other natural phenomena that occurred with less regularity than the rise and set of sun and moon as so many revelations from a supernatural source. And then it goes, it just goes on and on about how (laughs) people who saw these things read stuff into them because they were happening in the sky and surely they were signs from God or something. And then some people would even go so far as to say, this thing that I saw was just for me and it has personal implications. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But what shall we say when an individual discovers a revelation addressed to himself alone on the same vast sheet of record, that's talking about the sky in such a case, it could only be the symptom of a highly disordered mental state. When a man rendered morbidly self contemplative contemplative by long intense and secret pain had extended his, his egotism over the whole expanse of nature until the firmament itself should appear no more than a fitting page for his soul's history and fate. Whoa. Whew. This is like, it's a lot. This book is sort of, verbal white noise for me a lot <laughs> okay <laughs> like my brain is just kind of sliding off of it because it takes so long to say anything <laughs> sure sure yeah i mean i i think so there was an interesting piece i found on lit hub by noah cho who uh was like a middle and high school teacher he's written a bunch uh on teaching and, and other stuff um and he writes about being uh, biracial and of Korean descent and uh, like bouncing off books like this, like books in the traditional white English class canon um, and saying it like made him basically like in class, like as was a bad writer and had trouble even engaging in class because he like couldn't connect with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this piece called the freedom of tossing the scarlet letter from a high school curriculum um, talks about when the, then he became an English teacher and had to teach it. And I just pulled this quote. There I was trying to make the Scarlet Letter interesting to students, many of whom were actually from abroad and studying in the U.S. on student visas. We struggled through it together, but I couldn't resist taking jabs at it. I'm the type of person who finds it difficult to hide emotions. So it was with great amusement that my students watched me attempt to teach the Scarlet Letter. One student, one of my sharpest, said, you totally hate this book. You should switch it out for something else. (laughs) And he goes on. And then, like, at the end Probably we'll get some of that from listeners after this episode goes up, (laughs) I bet. That's what I bet. He he then goes on to like, you know, in a very generous way, thank the book for spurring him to go find a bunch of stuff that actually spoke to his students. 
Um, though he does acknowledge like attention of some like parents uh, or other family members, like kind of being annoyed that he was differing from what at the time was the established curriculum because stuff like this at least was, I don't know about is currently like so represented on standardized tests and stuff because you need to have some sort of canon around which you can build your, you know, predictable SAT or whatever your state exam is for an English class, which is so obnoxious. Um, so it's just an interesting, I would recommend people read that essay if they're interested in like, hmm, maybe I don't need this book. But it, I don't know. I also get why it got taught for so long because it's like, there's a letter that means stuff. There's, there's a, a letter bush that, that means, means things. Yeah, like every everybody has a name that is reflective of the thing that they're doing in the book. Yeah. You mentioned Dimsdale's being sort of dim. That's not as, that's not, it's, it's sort of the... Is it the, that stuff's being hidden? Well, not even hidden. It's just like it's like flickering or weak or diminishing. You oh, know, like dim in the sense of like a dim light, not yeah, sure, like literally a dim light, it. not like a dim bulb. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the two different things. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the idioms. I get it. You yeah. do make sense there, um, but yeah, it just and and I think it's also this. I don't know. It's. Seems like it's honestly shockingly straightforward of a book. It's so so straightforward for being so allegorical in mm-hmm. in its ideas. It is like here are some people who did a thing, and we're gonna spend the book just kind of exploring how they feel about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot. You said it's about their interiority mm-hmm. and stuff, and them thinking about what they did. Because mm-hmm. do you even see? You don't even like get a scene about the adultery, right? It just already no, happened. You don't you don't get to see any good stuff. The the <laughs> book opens with the scene of her on the stage getting branded with the scarlet letter. You don't you don't get to see what their relationship was like before the scarlet letter. And then yeah. and, and again, if we're talking about how you would do this in modern times, there would definitely be a prequel. Mm. And I don't know what you would call it, but it would be some kind of like vague allusion to something and it would be the you know that you get to meet them before the scarlet letter i think there's a i think the demi moore movie uh does have a does have the scene where she sees him for the first time and he's like skinny dipping or something i think you would call the book hester Mm. yeah you know like like the joker Oh no! Is about the Joker's origin story, and so you would make the you do this book called Hester, and it would be about her life growing up and and her getting married to this guy Chillingworth, who you never actually learn the real name of. You just know that he he wants everyone he was to call him Mr. The Prim? Definitely real name Roger Chillingworth. Yeah, sure, okay. Uh, and then yeah, and then her meeting this guy and and them doing an adultery, and there would probably be all kinds of like little hints where they would have a conversation about like what their favorite letter was or what their fa- their favorite color. Okay. Mhm. Um I had Anyway, this is my pitch. This is my pitch for Hester. Sure. The movie. Yes. Um I had some reviews that I wanted to share. Okay. Um one that sounds fun. was a 3-star Goodreads review. 3-star Goodreads review from Roman 
says, or Roman Clodia, excuse me, says, three stars, a religious Christian psychodrama concerned with guilt, sin, redemption. This gets very fevered at times with first Pearl and then Chillingworth being associated with the devil. There are interesting secular themes, too, about identity, forms of authority, and the individual versus society. But gosh, Hawthorne is heavy-handed with his symbolism. Definitely more akin to the Pilgrim's Progress than Tess of the Durbervilles. Get it, Roman? Wow. Wow. Got him. Body blow. (laughs) I mean, what do you think about the, like, I'm not even, like, individual versus society stuff, but specifically, like, Hester as this, like, independent woman figure in the book? Because I do think that there is, there, and there are other characters in Hawthorne's canon, I think, that are, like, women that don't abide by society's rules. How does that, how did that play for you? I mean, what do you mean? How did it play for me? Like, like I don't know. Like, as a reader here in 2022, like, how do you Hoffman find just Hester Prynne? He doesn't leave a lot of room for like, you know, read what you want into this. He's like, here, I'm going to depict something and then tell you exactly how to interpret it a hundred times. Well, not, maybe not interpret. But, like, like, how do you I feel like, about her? I like Hester fine, I guess. Sure. All right. I was just wondering. She's like, yeah. this like, I don't know, independent female character from the mid 19th century America that is not a super common thing in literature for us. Yeah, but she's also not like a person. She's a symbol. Well, that's fair. She's a collection of things that happens. Okay, sure. And then she's a parable about it. Yeah, okay. That's a fair (laughs) criticism. I mean, I I liked her more than most of the other characters because, I mean, all the characters are like this. I think that the best, the character I come closest to liking is the sailor at the end who (laughs) calls Pearl a witch baby. Whoa. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, that's this the book. was this was fine. Some pe- people in the overdue Discord, the, the vibes I got off of this one was was like, "I'm glad you're reading it, so I don't have to." Yeah. Do you wish someone else had read this book for you, Andrew? I'm kind of okay. <laughs> yeah. If someone liked this book. Why do you think so? Now, it doesn't even have to be you. If someone on this call, because it's not me, liked this book, what did they like about it? She was like probably some of the, I mean, some of the language about, you know, I, I read that little, some of the little bit about like stuff happening in the sky. You've alluded a couple times to people like being of the devil or, or whatever. Mm. Like there's some interesting descriptions of, of people Okay. But again, it just it's a book with so little to say that takes so long to say it. Mm, sure. That I really was struggling. I was like physically struggling to read it mm. through most of my read because it just was not grabbing me enough to like literally keep me awake. Like and it's not even oh, I'm reading this at 11:30 as I'm in bed and I fell asleep. It's like it's 4 p.m. and I have to finish this book today so I can record a podcast about it and I am having trouble staying away. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, The Scarlet Letter, don't recommend it. Great. <laughs> it's not a book not a book review podcast, but don't read The Scarlet Letter. I didn't like it. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Uh, well, that's our podcast. You can email us your favorite letter 
um, if it's not the scarlet one at overduepod at gmail.com. Thanks to folks who reached out to us this week on social media, Twitter and Facebook at OverduePod. Thanks to Carolyn, Sean, Rebecca, Rach, Marcy, Jill, and many more. Thanks to Nick Lorandis who composed our theme music. Uh, Andrew, folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? OverduePodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Our schedule for June is... It'll we be did up there. It. It'll be up there. Um, Craig, do you want to run through that real quick? Yep. We just hit the Scarlet Letter. Next week, it's Confessions of a Mask by Yukio Mishima. Uh, then it's Every Heart a Doorway uh, by Sean McGuire. And then Angels in America by Tony Kushner. We're also going to have a bonus episode. Uh, Andrew, tell us about the bonus episode book. It is a Star Trek book from like 1985 called Killing Time. And specifically, we are reading the first edition, mm-hmm. which I won't go into more detail now, but it contains content that was removed from subsequent editions. Yeah. That's by and Della Van Hees. Yes. So that'll be our uh, like bonus episode. If you want to join us for that again, Andrew, where do people go? Overduepodcast.com uh, and or more specifically, patreon.com slash overduepod which is a place where you can support the show and get access to the discord that we mentioned earlier. You get uh, bonus episodes early. You can sit in on our bonus episode recordings every other month and yeah. And you, you can help us, uh, what buy books, buy hosting, send, send my kid to daycare, like all, all that stuff. You can, uh, decide which book we might read next. We have a July poll up, go take a look at that. Um, you're all the reason why Andrew read Scarlet Letter. So thanks. I say this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get us out of here. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Till we talk to you next week. Try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.